So glad to be here. And as you know, we're continuing our number of weeks series around the book of Colossians. So I'd love for you to get your Bible out. Um, and we're going to um, dig into, in particular, chapter 3. But let me just give you some overview, my overview of the book of Colossians, just to remind you about what this is all about. Um, right at the end of this letter, this epistle, um, it says that the Apostle Paul wrote it with his own handwriting. Um, early on the introduction, it says that the Apostle Paul and Timothy wrote it. There's one thing that we can clearly um, uh, um, join the dots on, and there's seven people's names mentioned in the book of Colossians. It's the same seven names uh, in the book of Philemon. And so uh, whoever wrote this, which we're saying is the Apostle Paul, also then definitely wrote um, the book of Philemon, um, which is interesting. But whenever Paul wrote a letter, which is what this is, Colossians is all about, it's a letter to a church. It's a letter that actually is encouraging them, correcting them and bringing some uh, maybe some emphasis on a particular area and that's what the book of Colossians is all about. He heard about what the issues were in this um, church from a colleague of his who was the pastor of this church in Colossians. He started this church, Epaphras was his name. Sorry, I know you're giggling at my pronunciation. Um, so do I. And I do all my best. I do all the spelling. I figure out all the sound outs. And I always balk at the last minute. <laughs> Just remember Bundamba Primary School, Bundamba High School, Bundamba TAFE. Um, so we didn't learn Greek names there. We were just trying to survive and get through every day. But Epaphras was the campus pastor of this particular church. If you put it in today's context, you would say that he was the campus pastor, the Apostle Paul was the lead pastor, and he was speaking into one of his campuses. Um, Paul always wrote a letter, an epistle, for a reason. There was something that he was trying to do. There was a message so, of course, then the very next obvious question we must ask, what was he trying to say with this epistle, this letter, to the Colossian church? I mean, one Bible scholar would say that he was addressing the issue of people who were spiritually hungry for the mystical elements of their faith that paralleled the pagan culture of where they were living. So that's an interesting thought because the church was definitely hunger, uh, hungry, I should say, for the supernatural. But they ended up chasing the more extreme experiences rather than chasing God himself. I mean, Paul addresses a couple of those issues. He said, for example, these people in this church, you're seeking and pursuing angel worship. There was people who were um, promoting um, that visions were the most important thing in the church. But this is what Paul was addressing. He was simply saying through this whole letter, you could paraphrase these four chapters by saying that the lordship of Christ is enough. 
I mean, the Old Testament alludes to Jesus Christ. There was a mystery embedded in the Old Testament about a Messiah yet to come. And of course, the Gospels reveal that Jesus Christ is that Messiah. Now, starting in the first chapter of Colossians, what is fascinating about this chapter is embedded inside the chapter is a hymn. Um, There's no other place in any of Paul's writings where he actually emphasises and writes down a hymn. Um, In chapter 3, here we are uh, today in verse 16, he again re-emphasises this idea of hymns. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So again, you've got to ask, why did the Apostle Paul put a hymn inside his letter to this church? Now, maybe Paul wrote the hymn. Maybe he was just um, uh, reflecting the hymn that was already being sung. We're not quite sure. But there's no doubt that music and arts have had a profound effect on society and culture at large. I mean, it has changed communities thinking deeply on many issues. When, when you compare to other forms of communication like teaching and books, and I know there's many teachers here, I love books, but there's no doubt that music and the arts has had a much more profound impact on society. You only have to go through Europe and go to all of the cathedrals there and realise these places were the centre of everything and the stained glass windows were actually a creative way of actually expressing their love and worship for God. Now, the thing about music is it actually bypasses the logic of your brain. Um, It actually allows you to think or express yourself from the inside out. I mean, a well-written song or a jingle um, seems to somehow get lodged in our brains because somehow it hits our soul and then pops out. I mean, I'm going to give you an example of that. I'm going to mention two words and they're going to set you off and I would say nearly everyone here will actually say and be able to almost sing the song. Some people might even be able to action out those words because I've just mentioned two words because deeply embedded in you is this song called Baby Shark. (laughs) There's a power in music, right? I mean, I'll take that one step further. The last couple of years, um, the Wiggles have been playing sold-out adult-only concerts all around the nation. Think about it. Years ago, those people who are now buying tickets for the Wiggles were actually playing um, those shows to their children to entertain them, to pacify them. Um, Yet, actually, they were subconsciously being affected and, dare I say, addicted to the Wiggles material, even though it wasn't designed for them. 
the Wiggles were actually employing the same technique as the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1. Um, using songs and melodies um, to actually uh, transmit a message so that it becomes very sticky inside of your head. So I'm not quite sure of the deep meaning of hot potato or fruit salad, but again, as soon as I mentioned those few words, all of a sudden for some of you, um, they will be actually um, singing a song inside your head. I mean, that also then uh, suggests that teaching our kids how to sing spiritual songs enables them to hear the gospel message and travel through the generations. Let me reach back a little bit and actually uh, riskily sing you a line that says, Jesus loves me. This I know. The power of that line, the power of that song is being tr transmitted through the generations. I mean, one scholar paraphrases this hymn in Colossians 1 that is written about Jesus. It's, he says it's a hymn about the cosmic Christ who holds everything together. I mean, Christ is the complete cosmos. He is the alpha and the omega of everything. So what's our part in this cosmos? Is it to simply hear about the tensions all around the world, to be fearful of the economy, to actually then simply escape this earthly time frame? I mean, that to me sounds... A little selfish. Could we consider that in our current times we need people of faith, Christians, to actually really rise up and take leadership roles in our community and help actually inject hope where there is no hope and actually think about how we steward our time and our resources that God has given us in this moment. You see, when you chase the mysteries, like the Colossian church, you can fall into a trap looking for stepping stones or upgrades to your faith expression so that you can get honourably better access to Jesus. But clearly, this letter, this epistle of Colossians is, is simply um, saying again, Christ is enough. I mean, we've got to be careful, all of us, that we must not worship the mysteries rather than worshipping Christ himself. I mean, Christ is enough. No extra effort, no special experiences, no work needed, no, no uh, seeking or, or, or hunger, all those things are good, but Christ is enough you can actually in your Christian discipleship discover and experience the revealed, hidden mysteries of Christ himself. I mean, if Paul was under a character limit, which um, he was in some ways because paper was a huge resource, so you could only write so many words, they better be good words if you're going to send them. But in today's 
social media age, everything is trying to be compressed down to a meme. Well, again, he would say about Colossians, he would have just written, Christ is enough, letter done. So if Paul is putting an emphasis both in chapter 1 and chapter 3 around singing spiritual songs and hymns, what are we going to do? Well, I believe that we, we shouldn't devalue the praise and worship in our services or see it simply as a warm-up to the preaching. It is, in my view, equally important as the preaching of the Word. It's our personal opportunity to bring glory to God. It's also a time which affects us spiritually. The Holy Spirit can speak to you directly in those moments. He can bypass, therefore, usually what happens is bypass whatever um, pain or frustrations that you are uh, circling around or whatever um, logic blockers that you might have so that when you walk into the service, in that moment in praise and worship, it's amazing about how you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe that some of my um, inspirational aspects of my preaching often, I would say nine times out of ten, come from moments inside praise and worship services where I just feel like the Holy Spirit gives me a revelation about something in the Scriptures. It just seems to bypass all of whatever I've been thinking about and come straight in and hits me. In the same way, I, uh, um, my personal uh, experiences are that I, it's regularly that I'll wake up through the week and find myself singing a line from a worship song. Um, my, my, my family will persecute me because on our family text, they always take every opportunity to highlight how poor a singer I am. But when I hear these lines, I, I don't instantly wake up to the revelation I'm singing it, but I discover in just within moments oftentimes that that line is repeating and repeating in my head. It encourages me. It lifts me up. It blesses me because we're singing good theology over ourselves. Imagine um, singing every day saying that we have a good, good father. Jesus loves me, this I know. Good theology. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. You'd be amazed about how good a singer I am inside my own head. As you are as well. Remember, Christ is enough. I mean, a word of caution comes with every benefit. Then what do we allow our kids and ourselves to listen to in the background? What have we been playing, the music around our house? It also has a power. I mean, the best song to sing is Christ is enough. So let's do a deep dive into Colossians chapter 3. Have you got it open there? We're going to read a few of these verses. I think we've got the scriptures on the screen there. But fundamentally, this chapter, and I'd encourage you this week to actually 
read this for yourself. Not many words, a few minutes every day through the week and you'd be able to really reflect deeply on this chapter. But I'll give you the, my headlines about it. I believe Paul's saying, hey, there's a couple of themes. Put off the old, put on the new. Set your mind on things above. And he also then instructs us at the end of this chapter on how to live within our relationships. And I want to get to that today. So this first thought in Colossians chapter 3, let's read the first three verses. He said, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. My first point, this emphasis in this part of the chapter, I've just got, see you at the top. See you at the top. I mean, many areas have different walking paths or trails, national parks, forests, where they always lead to a, a lookout, a viewing point. I mean, I, I don't know, many of you might have done the big walk at Port Stephens there, going up to Mount Tomary there, where you get this incredible view out where I live just around the corner. There's a little hill right on the beach there called Krakenback. You go up there and you can get an incredible view over the central coast. You get a completely different perspective of the geography and the suburb and how things relate to each other when you get to that lookout, right? Everyone's not quite sure. Um, no one's... I'm sure you've been to a lookout, right? Wave to me if you've been up to a lookout. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I just wanted to know that you're, you're hearing my words. When you get to the top, I'll just say it again, you get a very different perspective of the area that you're living in or within on a day-to-day -day basis. All that you see when you're driving around is the roads, the traffic, the lights, the coffee shop that you like to go to, all the other different geography that is within your purview, your proximity, versus when you go to the lookout, you see things very differently. You go, oh, that's where that road goes over there and it goes, lands here. That's where that suburb is. Look at all those houses over there. I didn't realise they were there before. They were hidden by all those trees. The point is, I believe Paul is emphasising in this chapter is set your minds from things above. So, of course, all of us have moments in life where incredibly good things are happening. Make sure we're not living there. There's also seasons and times when we're in those valley moments. Don't live there. Live from a heavenly perspective. All of a sudden then the highs are good, they're amazing, but they're not going to change the course of our life. That the same pattern then when things are going rough or tough, that again we're staying on course and staying on the direction of our lives because we've got this heavenly perspective about how all of this is put together. Sure, our emotions regularly reflect 
whether we're on the top of the mountain or in the valley, but actually live above your emotions, live above this earthly pattern and live from a heavenly reality about what we're meant to do on planet Earth. I mean, he's urging us, Paul, to literally set our minds on heavenly perspectives rather than our earthly experience. Simply see you at the top, okay? Next few verses from verse 5. Let's read this. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilised, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. I mean, there's a pretty powerful verses there. There's not much that I can really add to that or unpack that other than saying, I mean, I'd paraphrase all of that by saying, constantly putting to death the things that are not part of our new nature. There is all of us have to have this putting off process. And I say process for a very deliberate reason. It's got to happen every day, every week, every month, that there's a continual going on. We're saying, oh, I'm not happy with that sinful nature response. I've got to put that off. And whatever it is you have to do to put that thing off is a good thing. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do. So, of course, then let's keep going on some of these verses. Reading from verse 12. It said then that since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who continually backs Queensland in state of origin. You have to make allowance for me. The Bible says you've got to forgive me, even if it offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace. 
and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Here it is. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I've already spoken about the worship and the praise. But I want to, I suppose, unpack this passage about the idea now of, of seeing you at the top, putting things off, and now here we are about putting things on. I want to give you another story to help explain those scriptures. It's a short story. But when someone is battling a serious infection, at, at which point they seem to have exhausted all other ways of cure and healing, then the next thing that comes along medically is the blood transfusion. It's sometimes needed to overcome the tainted or the toxic blood. The new blood, by the way, as you would understand, um, carries none of the internal old infection that we're trying to fight. But there is obviously, once the blood infusion is taken, there's a war inside the body about which blood will dominate and which one will win. I mean, the positive health outcome may be guaranteed after the blood in, um, in transfusion, but the experience is still one of inner conflict. So again, as believers, sometimes it can be disheartening or frustrating to go, why does it seem like I'm always battling issues of my flesh? Because it's an ongoing war that we have. You don't ever win that war. You overcome that war. So again, don't be surprised by the conflict. Just make sure that Christ is enough and that you are, are up for the battle. So this also is about a putting on process. It's a journey. It's an everyday, every week every year experience. So these last few verses, instructions to Christian households, verse 18. Here we get to the tricky part of Colossians. For some reason they left it to me. <laughs> verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord." Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. This passage has always been a controversial one. 
especially in the era and the time it was written. But not perhaps for the reason you might expect. See, Paul was challenging the normality of the Greco-Roman world. This verse, this passages was counterculture to its times. He's actually um, uh, um, bringing and clearly making women and children and slaves equal in value and rights and responsibilities as the men had. He's dismissing a society-wide household code which relegated um, women and children and slaves as possessions who could be used, abused and even discarded. This, he is promoting the new ethic within the Christian community of faith, radical in its day and its time. Um, Over history, over thousands of years now, the church has always led the way in social justice and human rights. That's the history we live in, folks. So again, the church is the one leading this new social transformation. Paul is radically speaking against um, the the Greco-Roman world. I mean, in some ways, you could actually say Paul was treasonous with those words because he was upending the norms in that society. So therefore then, when he says the word submission, what he's actually meaning is this was a way for women and children to receive protection in a world that was willing to trade and discard and abuse. Because he was saying, come into this family code and um, because we all love Jesus together and he sees you equally the same as he sees men. For the women and children, there was a big challenge as well, as with men, where he was asking them to trust, which may also have been extremely difficult in that day and age. Because what happens if a man fails to deliver this code in a worthy, where it in a matter where it could actually receive respect. For the husbands and fathers, Paul asks them to love in the same way that Jesus has loved. What an incredibly high benchmark. By laying down their lives for their family. Again, this is counter-culture at this, these words that he's speaking in this time. I mean, let's be absolutely clear. I believe we are all called to submit to authority, men, women and children. I mean, this means that we all actually give authority to people that we are willing to submit to, which means there's also then times in our lives where we must submit to God first and his leadership rather than human authority. Difficult phase done. Um, In a few minutes, I've explained a 
a uh, very difficult passage, so please be kind to me. Um, normally this would take several hours to unpack, um, but I hope that you understand, but I'm very happy to discuss this um, after the service as well. So in closing, if the worship team could come, thank you. This chapter has an amazing finish. I mean, what he emphasises at the, at the end of chapter 3 is this thought because he goes and backs in what he's already been talking about. Basically, again, I'll paraphrase by saying that God has no favourites, male or female or children or slaves. I mean, again, the, the, the powerful uh, countercultural statement is that everybody is equal. God treats us all with perfect equality. All of us are equally valued and have been purchased with the same price, which is Christ is enough. Which therefore means and addresses a, a thought, a statement that for some people they carry around saying that God couldn't love me or He doesn't love me the same way He loves you. That's a falsehood. He loves everybody equally. There's no special people. There's no people that are more picked out in God's economy. There's no one elected or special or has more grace than anyone else. Everybody is equal. The way that we would say that here at Hope You See is, you are all welcome at His table. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've been wrestling, no matter where you're up to in your spiritual walk, you are welcome at His table. So church, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask Jess to come up in a minute, but I just want to pray for you today. Maybe where you're standing, just why don't you come, thanks. Just to think about, just for 60 seconds, what I've just been talking to you about. Christ is enough. About the process of putting off things. About the process of putting things on. To think about how you could reorientate your thinking to a heavenly perspective rather than the things that you're bumping into each day. I pray the Holy Spirit speaks to you, brings this word into your reality. Wherever you are, whatever you've been working on, whatever you're working um, through, Holy Spirit, speak to people today. Lift them, encourage them. Let this word go deep into their heart. Let it pass the logic and reach their soul, reach their spirit, Father, so that they'll again have a refreshed view that we are all new creations because Christ is enough. Amen. <laughs>